welcome to Pound the Rock, the Scores NBA podcast. I'm Joe Wolfon, and I'm joined remotely, as ever, by co-host Joseph Cacharo. Cash, what's up? What's going on, man? Everything, everything's good on my end, I guess. <laughs> I guess. I mean, yeah. this, we're, we're always just adding the qualifiers at the end, but I think, I don't know, we're doing the best that we can under the circumstances, and I think... I think that's that's all right, you know. I don't think we should uh, feel bad about saying no. that we're doing well. I feel like, from a mental health perspective, I'm doing a lot better than I was uh, a few weeks or a couple months ago. And as I told you off air, I'm finally getting my hair cut tomorrow, so that'll be a nice slice of normal. Especially in these summer months, this mop atop yeah. my head is getting pretty sweaty. You got you got a whole like doink the clown thing going on up there right now, so. What is Doink the Clown? Oh, did you when you were a kid? Did you not watch wrestling? Like even when you were really young, <laughs> I really didn't, man. I yeah. like, I don't know. I feel like we 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 obviously have like some cultural touchstones where we overlap, but I also feel like we're a little bit siloed in terms of our cultural references. So That's right. That's cool. I don't know Doink the Clown. Anything involving a clown, it doesn't seem like you're uh, you're offering me a compliment here. So <laughs> yeah, well, you're getting cuts. I mean, which. <laughs> Yeah, fair enough. Um, but that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about the NBA, which I, I think to this point, things have gone more or less according to plan in Disney World. There have been a couple of positive tests that happened with players once they were already... I don't know if you would say they were inside the bubble, but they were in Orlando, but never essentially got out of the initial quarantine. And I think either one of those players was Michael Beasley or Michael Beasley was a third uh, positive case, but his Nets tenure appears to have been extremely short-lived. So he's not going to play. But I think generally, like that, that's less a red flag to me than a sign that uh, the protocols are actually working as intended. And the NBA is obviously taking this very seriously. They have the appropriate safeguards in place and they're able to catch these cases and make sure that nobody is entering the bubble while they're actually carrying the virus. So, I mean, to me, that's maybe a positive indicator. Uh, I think it was two positive tests out of 322 tests taken. So, uh, you know, apart from that, um, I think, you know, this thing's moving ahead and so far so good, I guess. Yeah, no, I think, uh, I think like you said, I think that it's working the way it's supposed to work. And I know there was a lot of kind of panic about, the fact there were still positive tests coming in and, you know, for big names like Westbrook, but a lot of those guys were not even in Orlando yet. And if they were, they weren't part of the official bubble. Like you could be on the Disney resort campus and still not technically be in the ball. Like it being in the quarantine phase is not really truly entering the bubble. You enter the bubble when you clear the quarantine phase. And so in that, in that sense, yeah, I think the plan is working the way it was intended to work. And that gives me, I think even more optimism than I had even a week ago, the last time we spoke that, that they can get this thing going. And then once they get it going, you know, I guess that'll be the real test, but look, you know, we, I think we touched on this last week and you were kind of just touching on it a few minutes ago. It's one thing to not feel bad about feeling well. We also shouldn't feel bad about the fact that we are excited that in 13 days, the NBA is coming back and, you know, here, here's hoping they can, they can pull it off without a hitch. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't mean that we don't still have questions and concerns, right about all this stuff, but I think we've heard from a lot of players and coaches who have said they feel very safe 
inside the Disney campus. And that's what you want to be hearing for sure. And I think also, like, have you been watching any of these vlogs, like Matisse yep. Stiebel's vlog, which I think is just excellent, like yep. extremely well-produced, funny, and gives like a pretty interesting look at what life is like inside that bubble. I, I think the NBA deserves credit for the way that they have set this up, the amount of thought that went into it, the the safety protocols, and also the fact that you know, outside of maybe a couple snafus with the food initially, the players are being pretty well taken care of. And, you know, there, there seems to be no shortage of activities that they can participate in when they're not practicing uh, or eventually playing games. A lot of them obviously have been going fishing. I don't, is, is that like a man-made body of water at Disney? Like it must be, right? Or I mean, I don't know. To be honest, I've never been to Disney World, but... Um... I, I, I've been once when I was when I was super young, but uh, I assume yeah, it's man made. But at the same time, given the size of the resort and that it's in that area of Florida, like it could be a natural, like I don't know, like a swamp or something, or like a river. I don't, I don't know. Because it seems like these players are, for the most part, all like catching pretty giant fish. Yeah, yeah. So it's probably not man made. It's probably a natural body of water. I mean, unless they, could, unless they flew in, <laughs> they flew in some fish. Dumped it in this man-made body of water just for the NBA. I did, honestly, I. Say I mean, that, given all the yeah. other things they've done just for the NBA, I wouldn't put anything past yeah. anybody. Um, also, um, hope all the players are taking Spencer Dinwiddie's advice and "quote unquote" not flying in that LA work. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's that's one way to keep the bu- the sanctity of the bubble intact. Wasn't Spencer Dinwiddie's advice also not to snitch? That's correct. What do you like? What is the morality, in your opinion, of the snitch hotline? Because I feel like there is sort of this stigma about snitching on other players, but at the same time, this isn't an ordinary situation. Yeah, these guys, this think... isn't an organized crime. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, the, like even that word, there's such a negative connotation. And when we're in the midst of this public health crisis, and when somebody breaking the rules could potentially put everybody else in the bubble at risk. I don't think there should be any shaming or stigma, that, which is why I guess the hotline is anonymous. But like, like Rudy Gobert came out and said he found the, the hotline petty. Right. Which. Oh, no way. Rudy Gobert said something somewhat <laughs> ridiculous. Come on. Come on. Did he quote Serena Williams I, on that? Oh, God. So, but like, obviously, he's not the only one who's come out and kind of said that he doesn't think that players should be tattling on each other. And. I don't know. I feel like that's maybe the wrong approach when we're in the situation we're in and it, it is so important for everybody to be following the protocols and, and doing it not just for their, their own safety, but for everybody's safety. Yeah. Also, it's like Spencer Dinwiddie, Rudy Gobert. You guys are in the NBA. You're not in the mob. Okay. Like this, there's no code. There's no omerta here. There's no code of <laughs> silence. Okay. Snitching is about when two people who have signed up for that life, know that you know whatever's done they handle themselves because you don't go snitching okay it is not the, the whole thing about like not snitching that doesn't extend to every facet of life like for example trying to keep a uh, safe zone bubble a safe zone in the middle of a pandemic like i i don't consider that snitching i consider that being responsible now if rudy right. gobert and spencer dinwiddie were running rival families in new york city and one of them snitched to the feds instead of handling things within the families, then yeah, I'd consider them snitches. You chose that life, handle it yourselves. But come on, we're talking about keeping a bubble 
of human beings safe in the middle of a pandemic. That's not snitching. That's being responsible. I'm glad we agree on that much. Um, and obviously, there, there there were also a couple instances of players breaking quarantine. Rashawn Holmes, Bruno Caboclo, both of whom are now in a more extended quarantine period because, in Bruno's case, apparently inadvertently breaking quarantine, seemingly was was just hungry and and so left his room to see if he could go find more food, which he wasn't allowed to do. And Rashawn Holmes went to pick up an order of food and left the premises essentially in order to do so but again i think that's more a sign of things working the way that they're supposed to than the opposite right like this is being taken very seriously and all the right precautions are being taken and and hopefully that will serve as a cautionary tale for anybody else who's not completely familiarizing themselves with what the protocols are yeah, the only thing I'll add there is, I don't know, and, and I'm not saying it's the NBA's fault or the team's fault or the player. I, I don't know because we don't know enough, but maybe they should revisit, like, I don't know, how they communicate the rules to players. Because if Holmes and Caboclo are being, um, you know, genuine and not disingenuous, and again, who are we to say? We don't know. But if, you know, if they're telling the truth that they maybe weren't quite aware of the exact details of the rules and like Holmes didn't realize that he literally just strayed a few feet too far to pick up the food. And he thought he could cross like, or Caboclo saying he literally just went into the hall. Like, I don't know it. If these guys are being honest and they did that, not realizing they were breaking the rules, then I feel like the NBA should maybe just kind of revisit how they communicate these rules to these guys. Because the last thing you want is once games actually start, a guy having to miss games or whatever the case may be, not because he actually tested positive, but because he accidentally broke the rules that he apparently didn't understand. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And and as to players potentially missing games on technicalities, you know, ESPN reported that the league has now added antibody testing to its protocol amid fear over false positives after a player who had apparently already contracted and recovered from COVID tested positive inside the bubble after a couple of negative tests. And, you know, the, the, they're saying like kind of dead virus cells can linger in the body even after you've recovered and that can produce these false positives. So I think they're also putting precautions in place to make sure that a player isn't unnecessarily quarantined or held out of action because of uh, a potential glitch in the testing. I, Which, think I, makes- I mean, all of this just all of this just goes to show like how many different factors they're trying to juggle here, how many contingencies they have to have in place, and how easily and swiftly something can set all of this off the rails. Yeah. Another bubble-related thing, I guess the only other bubble-related thing I wanted to mention was... You see, you see the latest Jimmy Butler story. Of course, man. I mean, a, yeah, I, that's got to be the least surprising yeah. thing that's happened inside the bubble. I know that it's to a point where people kind of assume it's like the whole Jimmy Butler shtick is performative, and like it's probably him and his team leaking this stuff to me. And honestly, I I believe that it does not make me any less entertained though. Like I. I'm at the point where like, okay, the whole Jimmy Butler, like, you know, he goes to, he'll go straight from the club to training at like 4.30 in the morning or even so the story in the bubble was that there was a noise complaint or a disturbance complaint from like loud banging coming 
uh, from Jimmy Butler's room. And when they went to check it out, it's because he had been dribbling a ball like all night. <laughs> and also when he opened the door, he was like drenched in sweat because he had been working out so hard. And it's like, yeah, like, okay, maybe some of this is performative and his agent leaked in, whatever the case may be. But I'm at the point where like, A, if all those stories are true, I'm impressed just by his insane work rate. And even if they're not true, I'm almost equally impressed by how devoted he is to keeping up that story. So either way, I'm impressed. I just want to say keep yeah. doing you, Jimmy Buckets. I, I I like it either way. Definitely was Jimmy Butler calling the snitch hotline to say, man, I'm pretty sure Jimmy Butler is just working out incessantly in his room and it's really bothering me. This guy never stops working. Oh, oh sorry. Is this Shams? I thought this was the snitch hotline. <laughs> Um, any, any, um, other goings on inside the bubble that you wanted to hit on? No, I think, uh, I think that's just about it on my end. What about you? Yeah, no, I, th- I think that's it. But there have been a couple fairly significant injuries that have happened, uh, during this ramp up phase. One of them, Rajon Rondo fractured his thumb. He's going to be out for about six to eight weeks. And on its own, I don't know that it seems like a big deal. And maybe even some Lakers fans, and there are a lot of Lakers fans who I feel like have been grousing all season about Rondo eating into Alex Caruso's minutes. So maybe from their perspective, this will almost be a blessing. I mean, you can look at the numbers. Like Rondo had the worst net rating among the Lakers regulars. They were eight points per hundred possessions worse with him on the floor. It's just tough to fit him in, I think, with their other pieces. And, you know, especially given the fact that he is not at all a high-level defender anymore. I don't think he's providing them a whole lot at either end of the floor. But playoff given that they were already without... <laughs> I'll, I'll leave the playoff Rondo thing aside because I honestly just don't think that's a real thing anymore. Um, As I, 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 know, I know that's a hill you're willing to die on, but we may not get a chance to find out now. Um, but given that they were already without Avery Bradley and, and they just like don't have a ton of backcourt depth or especially like secondary ball handling to begin with, I do feel like there's kind of this compounding effect to the point that maybe it is a big deal because I don't know, like how far can you stretch Danny Green, KCP, Caruso uh, before those guys start to show some cracks? And, you know, on top of that, I think we've talked about how like AD at the five, that's kind of the ace in the hole for the Lakers. They haven't gone to it a ton this season, but I think in the highest leverage playoff moments, that's probably going to be the look that they go with. And I just think the, the less wing and guard depth you have, the harder it becomes to trot out those kind of lineups. So I don't know. What do you think this means for the Lakers? You've obviously been touting them as a championship favorites this entire season. Does that change your opinion on, things at all it does it doesn't change my opinion on the fact i still think i picked them to win the title but i do think and i think you brought up a good point about you know whether cracks will start to show in players like caruso and kcp like i think a lot of times when injuries to players at rondo's level or whatever level he's at in 2020 happen a lot of people see it as like "Eh, it's not a big deal because caruso is better anyway kcp is better like those guys are just taking the minutes and i feel like that's almost too simplistic of a view because yeah Listen, I'm a big Caruso fan. I think um, what he's done in his minutes has been great. He also averages under 18 minutes a game. He's never played more than 21 minutes per game in a season. What he does is great in his role, but can we be sure he will still be that guy at 30 minutes a game? Maybe. I'm not saying he can't, but 
We also have no evidence to suggest he can be. KCP had a, a really solid season after a wretched start. But again, if those minutes start ramping up, you know, it's been longer than an off season, you know, since we last saw these guys. We don't know. What if he looks like the guy who started the season again after a long layoff? That's a month of really poor play. And then, you know, you, you start depleting some of that depth. And if you do have to go down the line, you know, we made kind of a joke about all this stuff, but it's like, okay, well, now what if in a high leverage game, you do need five minutes of Dion Waiters handling the ball? What if you do need an extra five minutes from J.R. Smith or someone like that? Maybe, maybe he comes through for you. But, you know, even in a first round series against a New Orleans or a Memphis, the Lakers should be confident. But do you really want to have to even consider going to a Waiters or a Smith for five minutes, 10 minutes? Um, do you want Caruso and or KCP playing a 35 minutes in a maybe a game three where the series is tied at one. Like, again, I don't think this is going to derail them from winning a championship, but I do think these things add up over time and we can't just brush them aside because it's like, wow, it's Rondo in 2020. Yeah. And I think honestly, the, just the two most important things that Rondo can clearly still do is he can handle the ball and he can pass. And there are honestly not that many players on the Lakers who can competently do those two things. And like none of the guys that you mentioned, you know, be it Danny Green or KCP or Caruso, like Green, especially not like KCP can handle the ball a bit and Caruso can handle the ball a bit. But like you're not relying on those guys to be secondary playmakers. And as much as, you know, the majority of the time, yeah, the ball's going to be in LeBron's hands. And more than anything, you just want guys who can spot up around him and provide a little bit of spacing. He's also going to need to take some possessions off and you're going to need somebody else who can handle the ball and initiate the offense. And Rondo for all his warts can still do that. I don't think it's insignificant that they're not going to have him for, you know, at least the first two rounds of the playoffs and potentially longer than that. The other injury that happened was De'Aaron Fox sprained his ankle. Uh, He is going to be reevaluated in seven to 10 days, which I don't know. You never quite know what that means. It doesn't necessarily mean he's, he's going to be back on the floor in seven to 10 days. Uh, he very well could end up missing one or two of these seeding games. And for the Kings, that's, that's huge because they really don't have a whole lot of margin for error. Uh, they're obviously they're tied in the standings with both the Pelicans they're not necessarily tied in the standings with the Blazers. Like we've talked about the Blazers having this sort of half game advantage because of the two extra games that they've played and the, the microscopic percentage points edge that that gives them. But um, they're three and a half behind the Grizzlies. So technically, you know, if they kept pace with the Grizzlies, they could be in that play in scenario. But really, what they're competing against uh, are the two teams that they're currently tied with, which is Portland and New Orleans. They can't afford to lose any ground on either of those teams. And so if their best player is going to miss any time, then uh, I think they're going to be in pretty serious trouble and maybe even just out of this thing right off the bat. Yeah. And, you know, I, I assume for most of our listeners, they're not watching, you know, a ton of Kings games. Darren Fox had a hell of a season and was really coming on strong as the season wore on. Like he was playing his best basketball probably of his career before the season was suspended and was a big part of why the Kings, after a pretty tough start, were kind of right back in the playoff mix or, you know, the playoff race. And I, you know, they probably weren't going to make it anyway 
with or without him in this bubble, but they have a chance with him. And if he misses even two of eight seeding games, that chance maybe goes out the window. So, you know, it's, it's a more significant injury than your usual seven to 10 day layoff would be for a guy on a team, you know, five games out, whatever they are, three and a half games out. And I mean, we should also note Zion Williamson has left the bubble. Seems like it is an excused absence, which carries uh, different protocols than an unexcused absence. But he is left to deal with what's been described as an urgent family medical matter. So obviously thoughts are with him and his family. And I, I can only say that we hope that whatever he and his family are going through right now, uh, that they have the support that they need because that is obviously more important than anything that's going on inside the Disney bubble. Uh, the press release that the Pelicans put out did say that he intended to rejoin the team. And so the, the protocol for an excused absence that would allow him to rejoin the bubble would be that he needs to produce a negative test every day for a week that he's outside the bubble or up to a week if he's going to be out that long. And then once he reenters, he's got to quarantine for four days and again, continue obviously to test negative before he can re-enter. So we don't know how long he's going to be outside the bubble, but given that it's going to be at least four days once he's back, and all of this assumes that he's producing these negative tests, again, like he might not be available in the the early part of the seeding stage. And even if he is, I mean, this is obviously valuable ramp-up time that he is missing. And after what's going to be like a four and a half month layoff when all is said and done, uh, I, I don't think that's nothing either. Uh, as much as Zion is like physically just like there isn't really a precedent for him. And I don't know that really the, the sort of physical standard that you would apply to a normal player really applies to him. I do think that that merits mentioning as well. Yeah, 100%, especially when the Pelicans are the team that most of us and almost every projection model pegs as, if not the eighth and final playoff team in the West, at the very least, the play-in team to you know yeah. to fight Memphis for it. And yeah, I just think, look, like they're, I guess the benefit for the Pelicans is they do have the easiest schedule in the bubble. They're the only team out of the 22 that's strength of schedule is below 500, but there aren't too many bad teams in the bubble and you know given how tight that west race is all it takes is new orleans losing maybe one of the games they're supposed to win or two of the games are supposed to win and 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 that can derail everything and yeah if, if zion's not at his sharpest or not in the lineup at all that could be the difference between those one or two games yeah and their third game in the seeding stage is against memphis and i feel like that's going to be a pretty important one because let's say they otherwise play to the same record Memphis wins that game and suddenly the Pelicans are further than four games behind them and they don't even get to that play-in scenario so winning that game would obviously be huge for either of those teams and it's really like the first three games for New Orleans are the only difficult ones on the slate it's Utah then the Clippers and then the Grizzlies and after that it's Kings Wizards Spurs Kings Magic all of which should be winnable games for them so like you said, I, I think the, the slate is easy enough that they'll still have a pretty good chance of making that up on the back end. One other thing in terms of just like personnel stuff, we talked obviously on the last episode about Oladipo opting out 
and the implications of that. Now it seems like Oladipo might be opting back in. And I'm interested in this for a few reasons. First of all, I mean, he traveled to the bubble, even though he wasn't going to play because he wanted to get practice time in. And everybody who has either seen him practice or has talked to somebody who's seen him practice has reported that he's looked great. And Oladipo has come out and said that he feels good and feels healthy. So he's saying now that he might change his mind about wanting to suit up. He said on Wednesday after practice, my body is feeling good. It was hard for me to assess where I was at from the long layover and obviously Corona. I couldn't really control that. But now, you know, coming down here and getting some practices in, getting my feet under me, going out there and playing with the guys, there's a possibility that I could play. So translation, there's $3 million on the line. (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, this is my big question about this, right? Because the NBA is refusing to pay him out for the rest of the season because he was medically cleared to play. And his comments about feeling healthy have apparently not done him any favors on that front and only solidified the NBA's stance that, yes, he's healthy and he's just deciding not to play. Again, just to to reiterate to you, his general manager's exact words were that he was in, he's never seen him in this good of shape. (laughs) Right. Um, Yeah, so they they don't want to set a precedent for other players to, uh, I guess, pretend they're injured and then opt out and expect to get paid for the remainder of the season anyway. That's at least the position that they've taken. I think that's a little weird because all the players are already there. I, I mean, I guess I wouldn't put it past a player on like the Nets or the Suns after a couple of games when it's clear that they're not going to make the playoffs and it's pointless for them to be there and they're homesick and they want to just leave. Like, I, I can sort of see it from that perspective, but... The NBA knows that Oladipo is coming off of this traumatic leg injury that he barely played in his return, which, you know, he was off the court for a year, came back looking fairly shaky. I mean, to me, that that reads like a legitimate reason to not want to put yourself at risk of a soft tissue injury coming back after a long layoff like this. Even if you say that you're healthy and you're feeling good, even if you've been medically cleared, I, I just kind of feel like that is a legitimate medical reason for him to want to opt out. And if that withheld salary is ultimately the reason he decides to play, even though he has these legitimate concerns about injuries, that's pretty messed up. It is, but it's okay. Like, you know, you see what's going on in the WNBA with Elena Deladonna. That that's pure trash. Like um, yeah. chronic Lyme disease, as she so eloquently put in a really great player's tribune piece that everybody should read. You know, this is a woman that has like played in the playoffs with multiple herniated discs, has played through so much pain, takes 64 pills a day, and has at least a one doctor, at least one doctor, saying that she should be exempt from playing. And then it's the WNBA doctors that are saying otherwise. That's the only situation. Oladipo's case is interesting because my question is, is like, does he have even one doctor that is saying, or someone, whether it's working for the Pacers, a personal doctor, is there someone sort of professional in this mix saying, Hey man, like you might not want to play in this, you know, you are putting yourself more at risk. Which, like, if that's the case and he's got that advice and that's the reason he's not playing and the Pacers or sorry, well, it's not wouldn't even be the Pacers because the, the report is that the Pacers are willing to pay him. It's the NBA saying, no, 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 no. So 
if that's the case and the NBA is still trying to force him to play, then yeah, I'm with you. Like all the power to Victor. Hopefully they get it settled and he doesn't have to play and still gets his money. Having said that, if there's no doctor or professional or team trainer like advising him to do that, and if he's been cleared on all accounts and is saying he feels great and Pritchard's saying that's the best shit, like it's hard for me. I don't want to say it's hard for me to take all the deep side because I I'm I'm usually pro player. It's just hard for me to like see the league saying, yeah, yeah, sure, take the time off and we'll pay you because I like as cold as it sounds from their perspective, why would they? And and that's right. what's confusing me is like what was it just him waking up saying, you know what, this isn't a good idea? Like I understand he probably has a trainer that told him, but like is there a professional that has advised him this? Or or was it just what he wanted to do? And now that he realizes he might be on the hook for $3 million, he's saying, well, I actually do. I feel good enough anyway. I might as well play. You know, there, there's so many unknowns here. Yeah. I mean, I guess I just hope one way or another that he's making the choice that his body is telling him to make. I mean, not that he shouldn't be incentivized by $3 million. I mean, who wouldn't be? I'm not going to judge him for that, but... I just, if that is the reason that he decides to play, then that makes me a little bit uncomfortable. I don't know. I mean, a lot of people put themselves at risk and are incentivized by money. And I think this whole NBA bubble experiment is an example of that. This is, you know, I guess just a microcosm where, yeah, I don't feel great about the idea of somebody who would otherwise sit out, you know, for fear of getting injured. Uh, is otherwise going to play because the league is withholding salary. It's uncomfortable for sure. Yeah. And I'm also curious, like, okay, so the Pacers have said that they're willing to pay him, but the league is putting its foot down and saying no. So is there a scenario in which the Pacers could pay him, but essentially they would just be paying him like out of their own pockets and it wouldn't be factored into the 50-50 revenue split between the league and the union? I feel like technically there's a way, but that it would be against, it would like violate the CBA in some way. It would be considered some sort of like under the table deal between a player and a team. And even though it's their own player, I don't think it would be allowed. So yeah, I think like, could they do it? Sure. But they'd have to hide it. And yeah, I don't think they could do it legally under the terms of the CBA. I think there would be punishment, not for Oladipo, but for the team. So, I mean, it it really costs the Pacers nothing to come out and be like, oh, well, we're willing to pay Vic. Uh, I guess if if it's 29 other owners or just the league office saying we're not going to do this, then maybe they would be upset with the Pacers for breaking ranks. But apart from that, I think for the sake of keeping up appearances and making it seem like they have their players back, uh, I don't think there's really a downside to them coming out and saying, well, we want to pay him, just <laughs> the league won't let us. But obviously, I'm interested to see whether Oladipo does, in fact, play. And if the reports coming out of their minicamp are true, then I'm even more excited to see him because, like, this is basically preseason, right? We're already at the point where more than four months have passed. That's basically an NBA offseason. It will be longer than a normal offseason by the time it starts up again. It feels very strange to connect this part of the season to the season that was going on when the league shut down back in March it instead feels like a totally different season. And so we're getting all of these like typical preseason platitudes about guys being in the best shape of their lives. Muscle watch, you know, guys looking incredible. Andre Robertson is apparently back for the thunder. 
and looking incredible, according to some eyewitness reports. And they got to play the Undertaker music when he checks in for the first time because that dude might have been dead for all I had known and is like just maybe two back. and a half yeah. years, two and a half years out of the league. And, and I, I will be thrilled if he can actually make it back and play well because he, like, at the time that he went down, he was a top three he defensive was, player of the year candidate, uh, maybe yeah. the front runner. Yeah, he was in the conversation for sure. And obviously, like, the Thunder have had issues on the wing all season. Like, it's been a real weak spot for them. And if Robertson can come in and just play like he was playing before he got injured, that would be pretty special. Um, but it's just, it's always really hard to know how much of this to believe and how much of it is going to translate when the games actually start. So uh, we'll just kind of have to play wait and see with all of that stuff. What's up, Pound the Rock listeners? Just a friendly reminder to rate, review, and subscribe to Pound the Rock on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. You can also check out The Score's other sports podcasts. For Major League Baseball, there's Expand the Zone. For Soccer, we've got Sweeper Keeper. Puck Pursuit has you covered for the NHL. And the Fantasy Football Podcast with Justin Boone covers, you guessed it, fantasy football. And in case you haven't already, download The Score app, available on iPhone and Android. That's where you can find all of our feature content, as well as live scores, updates, and breaking news. Now back to the show. All right, Cash, one thing I wanted to talk to you about is this Giannis Supermax situation. I wanted to bring this up because you put out a video on the score's burgeoning YouTube channel talking about why Giannis might turn down the Supermax and sign elsewhere as a free agent in 2021. And not a few hours after that, um, ESPN's Bobby Marks put out a piece actually kind of delving into some of the numbers behind that Supermax. And I think this is really interesting, not only because Giannis is, you know, in my opinion, the best player in the league and is going to be one of the most anticipated free agents, I guess, since KD. But his decision is obviously going to have massive ramifications for the entire NBA. But I find this interesting also because of how it reflects the sort of cloudy nature of the league's future financial reality. I think there are a lot of interesting questions about, you know, whether it's going to be worth Giannis's while to sign that Supermax, both because of what it'll mean for locking in his future with a team that, I mean, I guess, assuming this thing gets seen through to its conclusion, will find out. Uh, whether it can be championship caliber and whether their incredible regular season success can carry over to the playoffs. But also, the league's cap situation is really unclear right now, and there's not going to be any clarity on it until the league and the players' union essentially collectively bargain uh, the cap, probably for the next two seasons. So pre-COVID shutdown... Uh, the Giannis Supermax was estimated to come in at about $254 million over five years. And that was based on a cap projection of $117 million for next season. And that cap rising to $125 million in 2021-22. And I think those figures, it's safe to say, have more or less gone out the window. Like it does seem like there's going to be some kind of a smoothing mechanism uh, that the league and players union will be able to agree on. So there isn't a huge cap dip, but I think it's highly unlikely we're going to see the cap rise 
at least not to the extent that it was projected to do before the league lost, you know, more than a billion dollars in revenue because of COVID just for this season to say nothing of how much they might lose by not having fans in arenas and potentially playing a shortened schedule next season. And let's not forget, of course, Daryl Morey's Hong Kong tweet that apparently cost the league a few hundred million on top of all that. Um, Tillman Fertitta sweating right now, just hearing about all this <laughs> money going out the window. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like the league and the union can can kind of just scrap the BRI-based formula for setting the cap, which the way they do it now, it uses estimates based on the previous season's revenue. And instead of that, they can just collectively bargain new cap and luxury tax thresholds for the next two years that could kind of provide a sense of certainty about the financial parameters that the teams and players are going to be working with. Um, Obviously, we don't know what those figures are going to be at this time, um, but I think all of this has to factor into Giannis's decision making at least a little bit. Yeah, and I think like all that said, you compound that with the fact, and you know this is no secret, but one of the reasons people I think are starting to realize that the idea of the supermax probably doesn't work the way it was intended to is because the players that are qualifying for the supermax are the type of players who are making a boatload of money in endorsements on a completely other level than even your average NBA player. They probably have signature shoes. Their endorsement deals are like transnational. Like they're not they're not operating on the same playing field as other NBA players where the difference, you know, an $80 million difference in contracts is just a no-brainer. It's like I'm going where the extra money is. If you're a guy at Giannis's level or KD's level or LeBron's level, the amount of money you're making from Nike, whoever your shoe company is, and and everything else you're making off the court, I don't want to say it makes something like 60, 70, 80 million dollars negligible, because obviously that's never the case, but it makes sacrificing that a lot more palatable. So I think that's a big part of it. And then you compound that with everything you just mentioned about the uncertainty with the cap, and we don't even know how much more he'll be able to get in a supermax. And to me, that leaves me at a point where like the only way it makes sense for him to sign the Supermax this year, and even then you can argue it still doesn't make sense to sign it ahead of time, but the only way is if he's so sure about only wanting to stay in Milwaukee and so sure that he wants nothing to do with free agency and weighing his options and courting that he can rule all that out right now and say, let me lock in this five-year Supermax. I don't want to think about it. And hey, if that's, you know, that's the case, all the power to him. He can do what he wants. But even Giannis, even as loyal as he is, even as much as he might want to stay in Milwaukee, I don't get the sense from him or any pro athlete for that matter that they're ever so attached to their current team, their incumbent team, their home market, that they'd be willing to do that, right? And so if you're Giannis Antetokounmpo, why why would you lock yourself in this year when you can wait a year? Supermax will still be on the table, even if injury hits him, okay? It's still going to be there because he's Giannis Antetokounmpo. He can still get that money from Milwaukee, but he can weigh his option and see what else is out there. Um, he can see what the cap looks like. And it, like, I just don't think there's any reason really for him to get it done right now. And that, that's not me saying he's going to, that means he's leaving Milwaukee. I don't think the Bucs are going to trade him if he doesn't sign, unless he flat out tells them I'm not going to resign at all. And I'm leaving. Then obviously they'll probably explore trades, but I don't think that's going to happen. So I think what we're going to have is he's going to, decline signing the supermax this year there's going to be 
a nausea. If you're a Bucks fan, it will be a nauseating amount of speculation, including on this podcast, um, over the next year about where he's going to go and what he's going to do. And that's part of the, you know, that's part of the game of having a guy that talented. And then we'll see what happens next summer. Um, but I think that's where this is going. And I think we're going to get to a point where he will weigh his options and take meetings. And I would still put Milwaukee in the driver's seat to retain him. But, you know, I, I think it's very far from a foregone conclusion. And I just don't think there is any reason for him to sign it this year. And if he if he does hit the market, you know, as people can see in that video, shout out to our Unfiltered series. The story behind, as you mentioned it, our, our burgeoning YouTube page, I would consider the Raptors, the Heat, and and maybe even the Warriors, if a trade materializes as the front runners, um, uh, yeah, we can we can get into that in a minute. I I have some thoughts, but yeah, I think as far as like kind of potential cap space teams that can just sign him outright. Obviously, the Raptors have been positioning themselves for that for a while. The Heat are going to be well positioned. The Mavericks are another kind of dark horse team that could maybe get into those sweepstakes, but. I just sort of think, I mean, do you not feel that whatever happens with Milwaukee in the playoffs is going to have a lot to say about whether he's willing to sign that Supermax or not? I do. But, okay, it's weird because I go back and forth on this. There are times when I think, okay, if they win a title, and again, I, I still don't know if he signs it this year, but regardless, like if they win a title in the next two postseasons, maybe get to the finals both years and lose, but like they're clearly right there. You would think that, is reason for him to stay, but I don't like, I just don't know in this day and age and like the, the age of player empowerment and rightfully so I, I don't know. Like do you, if, if he really wants to leave or he does crave a bigger market or whatever the case may be, you know, if, if he longs for South beach, if he longs for the cosmopolitan makeup of Toronto, if he like, whatever the case may be, if he truly wants those things and, and we're still talking about, environments where he can win it's not like he'd be sacrificed like it's not like he'd be going to an 18 win team just for the sake of the market if he can have things that he wants and still compete milwaukee winning or not winning is that really going to change how he feels and say like i don't know I mean, we don't know him right and, and and so i go back and forth on this there are days i think well if milwaukee wins you know toronto and miami should just give up the Giannis chase it's not happening and then other times i think well like i don't know maybe that's not going to matter i mean if they win the title this year i feel like it would be hard to imagine him passing that up. I, I the Bucks aren't super young, like they, you know, and I think I don't know how much better Chris Middleton can get, but he got a lot better this year, and he's you know still at an age where it's conceivable that he could continue improving. But guys like Bledsoe and Brooke Lopez, I mean, you know, Dante Divincenzo is another guy who maybe could take another leap forward. Like there is some upward mobility there, but I think. In a sense, like this is their team. This is the team that they have. And, and whatever, trades can always happen, but Middleton is maxed out. Brooks on his contract for another three years after this one. Bledsoe's got another two years after this one. I, I also, I mean, like it's probably going to set off some alarm bells if he passes that up. But it, like, I don't think there's any chance that he gets traded, right? Like even if he does pass it up. I can't see like, like, even, like I said, even unless, he, unless he straight up tells them guys I'm I'm out a year from now. and even then you can still argue that it would still it's still worth more to have them and compete for one year right. than it is to turn him into assets that you hope one day are half of him right and I think first of all it would be very unlike Giannis to say 100% I'm out after this season I just don't think that that's at all who he is 
But even if he were to say that, I, I just I think they probably just keep him and try and win the championship next year, you know? Flags fly forever and all that. Unless like somehow they get the mother of all godfather offers. But I can't even imagine what that would be. Like whoever made that offer would have to be super confident that they could extend or re-sign him, given what the Bucks would be asking for. And I don't think there's any combination, like, you know, to your point about the Warriors, like, they're not going to have the cap space to sign him. It would have to be a trade from their end. And I don't think there's any combination of non-Steph Warriors players that would make it worth Milwaukee's while to do a deal. I I think it would literally take something like the Celtics putting Jason Tatum on the table. Which, I don't know, who knows, maybe they would do that if they thought there was a good chance. And I mean, like, it would have to basically be a handshake agreement. Like, that's how much certainty they would have to have. But if they did have that kind of certainty, then yeah, maybe they would put Jason Tatum on the table and maybe that would be enough for Milwaukee if they thought there was really no chance of them re-signing Giannis. But even then, honestly, I mean, like, Tatum on his rookie extension is going to be making like 60% of what Giannis's next contract is going to be. So it's not that simple. Plus, you know, the Celtics love to overvalue their assets. Yeah. Uh, like not I, that Tatum's overvalued, but like it's Giannis we're talking about. If um, you, if you had a handshake agreement that you have Giannis Antetokounmpo for the next half decade, I'm essentially saying you trade anyone in the NBA, except I guess LeBron and like Kawhi. Well, I, LeBron, I mean, yeah, exactly. LeBron's 33. Like, I don't know, like even then you'd probably do it. So it's like 35. Yeah. 35. Wow. I don't know why I said 33. Um, and and so, even Kawhi, when you like, I, I, Kawhi I think is better than Giannis overall. But when you consider like the injury history, and it's like oh, I don't know, next five years, I I think you might trade any player in the NBA if you were guaranteed Giannis for five years. But as you mentioned, the chances that a Giannis will actually say he wants out and b commit to a handshake agreement that he'll resign are like slim to none. So in that sense, we can. Almost war- ruled Warriors out. I still don't want to do it because we've seen too much. We've seen too much, and you can never say never in this league. Who the hell thought Miami was in the running for Jimmy Butler until Jimmy Butler said, nah, I want to go to Miami, and Pat Riley started making moves. So uh, I don't know. Okay, so like yeah, who- no, it's true. I mean, if, if if Giannis, like when he does become a free agent, is like, I want to go to Golden State and nowhere else make a sign and trade happen then you're right. There you go. And and if somehow the Warriors do get Giannis without trading Steph, then I will never make fun of light years ahead ever again. I mean, that will just be ironclad fact yeah. uh, if it's not already. So Yeah, and, and all those guys, like you look at their deal, like between Curry, Thompson, Green, and now Wiggins, they've got big money contracts signed long-term that will still be there for them to use in trades in 2021. And so... You know, if you use Wiggins, I'm, you know, I'm not even valuing Wiggins like that. I'm just saying when you look at the money he makes, if you use Wiggins contract, whoever they draft in like the top three or four this year, plus one, like Clay, you're telling me that doesn't get it done? Come on. I mean, I, I don't think throwing Wiggins in there is moving the needle in the direction <laughs> that you think it's moving the needle. Yeah, in. that's, like, that's a good point. Okay, Clay, value, Clay value and whatever maybe bum is drafted this year in a bad class. Like, I don't know. Well, I mean, you have Draymond's contract to throw in there as well. So, I mean, at that point uh, at his age too, like I love Draymond, but the point is they can get it done. If, if, Mm -hmm. if it's really at a point 
where as a free agent, Giannis says, this is where I want to go make a signing trade happen. The Warriors can get it done. And the Lakers, you know, a team I mentioned in the video, I, I, I know nobody wants to hear it. And they think that it's just the media, ha- oh, the media just has to say like the Lakers are involved. And it's like, okay, fair. I get that. But at the same time, there is a path. I'm not saying it's likely, but there is a potential path that the Lakers will have max cap space and LeBron and AD under contract in 2021. Also, the media has to include the Lakers because history has proven that the Lakers are always going to be a factor for the best free agents, and, especially when LeBron James plays there. Like, and again, I think we spoke about this last year, like when Kawhi and Paul George went to LA. Like, you know, like the media, us, whoever talking about the Lakers or Miami when they have cap space, like as free agent destinations, this isn't some like we hate your market or like your market sucks. It's just the facts that most, not all, not saying all, okay, but most young millionaire professional athletes would prefer places like Los Angeles and Miami over throw in middle America, like East Coast, like whatever, okay? That's just a fact. In other words, your market sucks. Sure. (laughs) No, listen, different strokes for different folks. I'm just, you know, being the bearer of bad news here and telling you, like, if all things were equal and they could pick, they're probably picking those teams. So, like, don't take it personal when, yeah, like, oh, when when the media does look at it and say, oh, shit, Miami's going to have max cap space in 2021 and a competitive team, they're an obvious factor because yes, duh, they are an obvious factor. If Miami has cap space and Pat Riley's breathing and they have even some semblance of, of a competitive team, they are a factor. Yeah. And I mean, there's something I wrote about last off season when there was all this kind of uproar about tampering, especially, you know, with the Clippers and Kawhi thing and like the Lakers with Anthony Davis and like the kind of silly petty fines the NBA was issuing to teams tampering with players as if that made any kind of a difference. I don't think you can regulate or legislate out player to player tampering. And at the end of the day, you can't change the fact that these players are in a lot of cases, just making lifestyle choices. And, you know, that just is what it is. Somebody like Giannis may well decide that he wants to make Milwaukee home and good for him for doing that. I don't think, like, there are so many people being like, you know, this Giannis thing is going to be instructive because if he decides to leave, then what hope is there for small markets? Or if he stays, then maybe it's proof that the Supermax does work and small markets can survive. Like, it's not going to be predictive in any case. It's just going to be the decision that Giannis decides to make. And the next superstar who's in the same position might make the same decision or might make a totally different decision for his own reasons. Like, that's just how this stuff works. And, like, at the end of the day, like, there's only so many safeguards that you can put in place to try and give these small market teams this, quote-unquote, home court advantage. The, the, The Supermax is one of those things, and it hasn't really worked as intended so far. But... I, I just, I, I really just think that it depends on the player and the situation. It goes back to what we were talking about a few weeks ago, right? About how like people want uniformity and want to believe that the players are all going to have the same opinions about how they should use their voices or whether they should use their voices for sh- social justice and how they should handle the restart uh, from a health perspective. And it's like, again, it's 450 different human beings here. They have superhuman talents, but they are not, uh, 
They are not actually super, like they're all humans with the same emotions, feelings, ties to communities, whatever the case may be as the rest of us. And, you know, Giannis's decision will have nothing to do with the way Kevin Durant thought about his decision. will have nothing to do with the way LeBron James thought about his decision, Kawhi. And it'll have nothing, you know, what decision Giannis makes won't, like you said, instruct the next star free agent because they're all different. Having said that, most of them would prefer warm, sunny destinations. Um, I, I Maybe we should just like hit on the actual financials for a second just to kind of explain what it is that Giannis would be turning down if he did turn down the Supermax. Um, so for those who don't know, like the Supermax, what it would do is it would allow Giannis's deal to start at 35% of the cap, um, even though he won't have accrued 10 years of service time. And from there, uh, they can give him 8% annual raises, which is the same as like the home court advantage that any team has with its own free agent when assigning them to a max deal. And basically, other teams can only offer Giannis a deal starting at 30% of the cap because based on his service time, that's the kind of band that he's in right now uh, between seven to nine years. Uh, the Bucks can offer him five years. Other teams can offer him four and other teams, uh, as opposed to the 8% annual raises, can only offer him 5%. So all told, that works out to about $90 million more in guaranteed money that the Bucks can offer him. Um, and guaranteed money being the operative word there, because obviously catastrophic injuries can and do happen, knock on wood, but I think we can reasonably expect that Giannis is going to be a max player by the end of his next contract. So he would be able to make up for not having that extra year, essentially in the first year of his next deal, like his next deal after this one, at which point he would be past a 10 year mark and any team could start him out at 35% of the cap. Well, the other, um, so the other option, the difference would probably end up being closer to like 40 or $45 million. The other option is you sign the two year deal. Yeah. And then hit and then enter the market at 10 years. Yeah, exactly. So, which is, which is what, what Kawhi just did. Exactly. And, and if that's the case, you know, and I, I think, I don't want to say it's likely, but I think that's um, something that more people need to consider as a potential outcome of this um, free agency saga is that Giannis will do that, allow himself to re-enter the market with the 10 years of service time under his belt, and then be able to sign the bigger max with another team. Now it would, he would still obviously always be able to make the most money re-signing with his incumbent team, but that does level the playing field a little bit. And and so maybe, you know, maybe that's a way where they meet in the middle and he stays in Milwaukee an extra two years, but also still has sights on leaving long-term. And uh, for the record, he would hit that 10-year plateau in the summer of 2023. So maybe that's the summer to be keeping an eye on. Um, I'm sure that's something that Pat Riley has thought through. Right. As I'm Pat sure Riley. you'd agree. No snitching and always one step ahead. <laughs> All right. All right. Um, unless you have anything else to add about the NBA bubble or Giannis's future. And again, to our listeners, if you haven't watched that video, if you're not subscribed to the Scores YouTube channel, I would definitely recommend rectifying that um, because first of all, the video team is, is doing a great job editing those videos and, and Cash is just churning out these scripts. And they're all really high quality. So I would go and check that out. But I think that's going to do it for us for this week. And I think we'll be back early next week to talk about some of the teams that we're really interested and excited to watch in this Disney bubble. We have a, a, a feature series that's going up on the app right now. Uh, a few of those pieces have already been published about the various teams that we find to be the most interesting. 
so yeah, we're going to hit on that in our next episode and we'll talk to you then. So for now, for Joseph Cacharo, free Woj, Woj, free Woj, pound the rock. Free Woj.